Hello, I'm Mariet Sneeman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on how to take good care of yourself and others. Today we're focusing on the science of happiness. Develop these key habits. My guest is Erika Tablanche, positive psychology coach, international endurance athlete and author from Cape Town. Welcome, Erika. Hello, Mariette. Very nice to be on the podcast with you. Thank you. And to our listeners, after our conversation, Erika will give us her three best tips for happiness throughout your life, including retirement. Then it will be fun question time. <laughs> Erika, you once wrote, I believe that we are able to do and become far more than we dare imagine. Now you have definitely proved this in your own life. Please tell us a little more. Sure. Uh, thank you for such a warm and generous introduction, Mariette. Um, you know, I really deeply believe that human beings are autotelic. You know, we 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 tend to move towards goals. You know, and if you imagine that you can achieve something, uh, say A, um, you will most probably achieve that, but you won't achieve A plus. But when you are willing to dream big, and when you challenge yourself to um, achieve bigger things and to aim for bigger things, so much more becomes possible. You know, every single thing that exists in the universe started with a thought. Um, every achievement, every place that you've arrived at started with a small seed of a dream. And in my life, I was lucky enough to have a mom who really, um, she encouraged us to dream as big as possible and to think of ourselves and of life as limitless and that we could really achieve anything that we wanted, not in a way that was um, self-absorbed at all or even competitive, but it was more a sort of a courageous approach um, to life and a permission to dream big because all sorts of magic can happen. You know, I'll just add this last thing um, to, to your question. This one quote that many of us know, it was inspired by Goethe, um, Wolfgang Goethe. It wasn't actually written by him. It was uh, written by a mountaineer who loved Goethe's work. Um, and the quote goes something like, whatever it is that you can dream, begin it. Because beginnings has boldness and magic in it. And the moment that we commit to some sort of an action and we begin, all manner of things, all manner of energies in the universe of men and women come to our aid to support what it is that we're trying to achieve. So that's really one of my biggest philosophies in my life and what I hope for um, in the people that I coach and uh, the people that I train, dream big. Because as big as your dreams are, that is the reality of the life that you will probably be able to inhabit. That's very encouraging. Now, you've studied many fields. Can you give us a peek at your background? Okay. So I have 20 years of 
deep corporate strategy uh, background where I worked with FTSE 100 companies up to Exco and board level. Um, and my background there is I, I studied engineering and then I became a consultant and I did an MBA and several business qualifications. You know, but at the same time as that entire period of, of a fairly successful career in business and in my later years in strategy, focusing on a sustainability strategy. So how does business begin to help support the big uh, societal and environmental goals and challenges that we are facing. Alongside that, I had a very deep interest in human psychology. And because I know culture eats strategy for breakfast. So um, in parallel, I studied psychology. I got a degree in psychology. <clears throat> and if you uh, think of psychology as the, as the science of minus 10 to zero, where we help people to not be ill. Um, so I found it very interesting and very instructive, but that wasn't really the arena that that turned me on the most. What I was very interested in is I wanted to understand what makes people thrive, what makes them flourish, what helps them through difficult times in their life. So how do you get from zero, just basically surviving, to a 10 um, where you're absolutely thriving in all elements of your life. And then I studied a degree in a master's degree in positive psychology, which is really the scientific um, evidence and, and the research behind what makes for a happy and uh, fulfilled uh, eudaimonic life, like you said in the beginning when you introduced me, right into retirement. So how do we live a good life? Um, and so I studied psychology and positive psychology. And then um, I also started two businesses that help people to actually um, uh, build these building blocks of happiness into their life. And one of them are called Teacher Girl to Fish, which is a, a business where I take people on immersive outdoor experiences and incredible things happen there. But when I took people through this uh, experience and the transformations that happened, I understood I needed to be a life coach so that I could also hold people through the big personal shifts that took place. So I became a life coach and I did some studying uh, at CTI, which is the first coaching institution ever uh, globally. They're very big in Europe and the US. Um, and then... I understood, oh my gosh, it's not just about the individual. The magic is actually sometimes in between the individuals and within the system. And so I studied OSC, um, which is organizational relational uh, coaching, which really works with the relationships and the energy in the system for big transformations. And I must say that's where my greatest excitement is, is working with large groups. Um, so I studied that and then a whole bunch of other stuff. And, and Mariette, I'm going to stop here, but I actually believe that we should be studying all our life long um, because as we move into the 21st century, we're going to have to remake ourselves over and over again as we live longer and longer and as our careers become more fragmented and cyclical so, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a student, I'm an addict, I'm a learning addict, really. Yeah, you certainly are the poster girl for, for lifelong learning. And then before we... But it's fun. It's fun. But you know, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. And actually, it's not a chore. And I, I so wish often that people could shift their attitude, especially young people. 
so that when there's an opportunity for them to learn something new that they want to drink from the fire hose, you know, Mm. um, because it's such a privilege um, to, to be learning. Before we get back to the science of happiness, I can't resist asking you this question because you have 15 years of podium achievement in international endurance sport. What does this entail? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's my other passion. Um, and just interestingly enough, uh, Mariette, people often say to me, how on earth did you have a successful career plus you study two master degrees and you managed to have international level sports achievement. How did you do that? And here's the secret. Actually, the sport is what helped me to achieve all the other things. It is what primed me into states of high performance. So it wasn't an extra thing to do. It was actually a platform. So I keep saying that to people so that in the morning when you have to go do your 5K run, it's not a selfishness. It primes you for your best performance. Go out and just do it. So the endurance sport uh, that I want to just say, uh, I'm very curious. I mean, obviously, if you study psychology and positive psychology and coaching, you are curious about human ability and how far we can actually push the human body Um, and the human psyche, really, because after about 24 hours of nonstop racing, You don't race with your body anymore. You race with your um, mind. So in the first, the first endurance sport that I got involved in was called adventure racing. It's literally adventure racing. You in a team of four people. um, And it's normally three guys and one girl. One has to be of the opposite gender. And you don't sleep um, for the duration of the event and because the clock doesn't stop. So sometimes the events are you know, 12 hours long, sometimes they 24-hour events, sometimes they 48 hours. And my favorite events actually lasted for five days and five nights where you got about two hours sleep eventually on day three, night three really, after 72 hours. And you're in the wilderness, you navigate by compass and map, and you canyoneer, kayak, run, mountain bike, swim, Rivers in flood, through gorges, uh, you do rope work, climbing, abseiling, rappelling, um, most of it at night in freezing temperatures. Um, and I, I was so fascinated by this sport because there was something extraordinary um, at the edge of human endurance. Uh, actually, it's what I'm writing my next book about, the, the things I discovered there. So... Yeah, that was that was the the adventure racing, and eventually went to world champs for South Africa, um, in New Zealand in 2007, and then a few years later I started uh, trail running, um, because the trail running thing took off, and I lived in in Europe at that point, and then uh, for ten years did some really good trail running globally and on most of the continents, and I've won some of the biggest races. Um, you know, these seven-day endurance races where you run through the desert, 250 kilometers, carrying everything you're going to use, your sleeping bag, all your food for seven days on your back, and you run in these 50 degrees Celsius temperatures. Um, yeah, so that's that's my that's my beat. <laughs> that's, what, that's where I test the theories I learned in psychology to hold 
to see whether they hold under high pressure. Yes, yes, I must say words fail me. But anyway, let's get back to our topic. (laughs) You offer clients in inverted commas, scientifically validated happiness coaching. Could you tell us what this is and then how it fits into positive psychology? Yeah. So, so Mariette, um, you know, briefly, when you and I first met um, and we just introduced ourselves to each other and had a quick chat about today, we spoke about the pop psychology. Uh, by the way, the what do you call it? Category, the category of books um, that are actually outselling every other category. It's outselling business books. It's outselling um, romances and novels and is the self-help section. Sales in self-help books have absolutely uh, skyrocketed. And I often despair when I go and look at the titles and look at what the contents of these books very often entail. Because, yes, maybe there's some very good advice in some of them. Maybe some advice is not that good. Um, But it's pop psychology and it's not based on hard evidenced research studies that are peer-reviewed and published in respectable journals. So over the past 10 years, I did a lot of reading in the for 10 years before that. I, I really studied, you know, the secret, um, all the all the pop psychology out there um, that helps people to improve their lives. And at some point, I actually realized that so many people were saying so many contradictory things that I just suddenly stopped. And I decided I'm going to search for the things that really make a difference, the things that have been evidenced and the things that I know um, will stand the scrutiny of science. And so positive psychology is actually the science of human flourishing and well-being. And where this started was with Dr. Martin Seligman. About 25, almost 30 years ago, he was the chairman of the U.S., um, a society for psychology, and he despaired because actually all the research were focused on the minus 10 to zero on the scale of human living. Um, it was all about uh, getting people to not be ill. And he challenged his colleagues to help people begin to develop research around what it is that makes us thrive and flourish. So that zero to 10. And then the science, uh, Martin Seligman is actually seen as the father of positive psychology because of this push in the psychology uh, uh, discipline that we begin to look at the science of what makes people thrive. And then over the past 25 years, a large body of research mushroomed around what is it that actually makes us happy as humans? What is it? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it success? Is it um, belonging? Uh, Is it connection? What is it that actually makes for a happy and fulfilled human life? And over the past 10 years, I've really refined my coaching around these strong scientifically validated building blocks of well-being. Um, And when people come to me, I will help you to achieve your objectives. But the basic foundation will be around are you getting the basic foundations right of a a happy and fulfilled life? And so that you don't get to retirement one day, like many of my clients do, and they've been very successful in their careers, but they feel utterly unfulfilled, unhappy, um, and they hit a very big depression when they retire. So I help 
people to not get to that place, ever. Right. And then could you tell us about Dr. Martin Seligman's PERMA model, which you have adjusted a little? Yeah, <laughs> well, okay, if you've done as much endurance running and sports as I, then you will know that the physical is very important. So Dr. Martin Seligman and his uh, colleagues asked the question, so what is it that makes people happy in the end? What are the building blocks of a successful life? And when I mean successful happiness, you know, the Dalai Lama says, we all just want one thing. We want to be happy. And Martin Seligman and his colleagues then articulated a framework um, which they called the Building Blocks of Well-Being and Happiness. And it's an acronym, uh, PERMA, um, which stands for five different things that I will take listeners through. And then they forgot that we also have a body. And after some years, they added H for health. Um, but long before they did, I added V to PERMA-V, and I've been coaching the PERMA-V model for the past years, and where V stands for vitality, actually much more than health. So how do you get into um, super energy for your life at all ages? How do you make sure that you are healthy, strong, vital to be able to do the things that you want to with your life? So the PERMA-V model, I respect a lot. It's been around for 25 years. It is not the only model on happiness. Um, Riff has another model where she has four elements of what people need to feel good. I mean, we all know um, the the hierarchy of needs by Dr. Abraham Maslow, um, which talks about the five human needs. So there are many models of happiness. But why I like PERMA-V is because it's holistic and it covers all the elements of um, a well-lived life. So are you ready for me to, to go through the five elements? Yes, I am. Okay, great. So I'm just going to briefly mention them. And then maybe, Mariette, in fact, I'm going to invite you to ask me which ones you want to delve into more deeply. I've prepared to talk about three, but actually we can talk about any of them. So it would be interesting to go into an avenue where you know you may have not covered something for your listeners. Or So I'm going to invite you to choose the, the three or four you want to talk to. Thank you, Erica. You're most welcome. Okay, so P stands for positive affectivity. What that basically means is how uh, often do you make sure that the background mood of your life is in an upward spiral and at a high level rather than negative and in a downward spiral. So positive affectivity is really about that mental muscle of the ability to be able to deal with negative emotions. First of all, awareness. So how do we become much more aware of how it is that we're feeling uh, moment to moment? And Mariette, you will know, and I'm sure you've had people come on your show talking about mindfulness. So this is all about becoming mindful of our emotions and our thoughts. And you know, an interesting thing is we have about 65,000 thoughts a day. Most of it is on a repeat loop. So it's really important that we become aware of our habitual uh, feelings and our habitual thought patterns and where that puts the background mood of our life. Um, it's also about uh, dealing with negative emotions in a constructive way that's helpful 
it's about the mental muscle to be able to generate positive emotions at will because we know that positive emotions puts us in a state of high performance. So how do you do that? So that's positive affectivity. And then the next one is E for engagement because Seligman and his colleagues recognize that if a person has something that they do for the love of it, if they have some hobby, uh, pastime, some passion in their life that they do not for performance, but because they completely get into states of deep flow when they tinker with that engine, when they build up that bicycle, when they grow those special daffodils or, or orchids, when they play that musical instrument, whatever your thing is, we all need to get into these states of flow and these states of deep rest. And here's the kicker, where the self disappears and where self-absorption is out the window um, and there is no trace of self-importance uh, um, because when we get to that place, there's a state of deep, deep mental rest. So the second one is engagement. And there's a beautiful quote that says, show me a happy man and a happy woman and I will show you somebody who is busy learning the piano or somebody who's growing dahlias or somebody who's teaching their child how to ride a bike. So um, it's really something about the permission that we need to pursue the things that fill, that, that fill our cup. Okay, so that's engagement. R in Parma V, the R stands for positive relationships, so for relationships. Um because really at the center of the good life is the quality of our relationships. And I do hope that you choose this one because there's a lot to be said about the research on longevity, on health, on, on the foundations of a good life and our relationships. Um, so positive relationships. And then the fourth element of, of the good life and the building blocks of, of a happy and a fulfilled life um, is meaning and purpose. That's the M. So do you have a meaning and purpose in your life? And this one is always a topic of contention because, you know, when people come to me in my coaching and they say, oh, what's my life purpose? I know very often that people are trapped in the, uh, please tell me why I'm significant. And it is more of an ego concern and actually it's an entrapment. The question rather to ask on meaning and purpose is, in whose life do I have meaning? And what meaning do I have for them? And, you know, and then the research around um, the people who are most fulfilled in their life and who report the greatest feelings of meaning and purpose are those people who know what their innate strengths are. Um, they call them character strengths. Say, for example, humor or kindness or leadership, and then who use and hone these um, deep strengths in service of something greater than themselves. So meaning and purpose, really important, especially as we get older and as our professions uh, progress um, to shift from from the technical to the vocational, um, you know, what's your meaning and purpose? What's your contribution to, to the rest? And shifting away from the self, I always say the pathway to happiness is really one that moves further and further away from self-importance, actually. So meaning and purpose is M. And then the fifth element is A for accomplishment. 
And I opened the, the podcast by saying that we are autotelic uh, human beings move towards goals. It is really, really important to set worthwhile goals in one's life. Um, in, in positive psychology, we call about the heliotropic effect, that people move towards an envisaged future. You know, and if one leaves this goal setting to chance, and you leave it up to society or social media or the marketing agents to determine the vision for your life. That's really not a good idea because you are such a beautiful and rich resource. Point, your, point yourself at your own vision rather than letting others to tell you what a good and successful life is. And then, of course, Mariette, some goals are better than others. So what are worthwhile goals? So we all talk about the science of what worthwhile goals are, what they look like. And then a really super effective goal setting method that helps you to get to these goals and actually achieve them. And by the way, just doing visioning and just doing vision boards can sometimes do more harm than good. Just FYI. So that's accomplishment. And then V. The final one, uh, so Dr. Martin Seligman and his colleagues added H for health. I added V for vitality. And that really talks about the fundamentals of good sleeping, good nutrition, regular exercise, nature connection, how to use our breath to get into better states of physical and mental health. And then also meditation as a modality for deep rest. A deep mental rest from, you know, from a life that's very uh, full and demanding. So that's really, if you look at the six building blocks, Parma V, and if you can get these 60% right in your life, you are set up to when it comes to the end, to look back and say, you know what, it was all worth it. And I spent my precious time well. Yes, you really make it very difficult if one has to choose. <laughs> I'm sure that was done on purpose. <laughs> now, what I've been thinking, uh, I suggested we talk about developing key habits. Now, I suppose key habits are really closely related to ways of viewing life or, or certain mm. subjects. So I was wondering... You said you hoped I would focus on the R, the relationships with others and self. Shall we start off with that one and see which ways of looking at life or which other habits you mm. could, you could uh, help us develop? Okay, fantastic. Right. So that's a really great one to start with. And, you know, as I as I alluded to, and, and thank you for choosing that one, because it is so fundamental. And you're so right, Mariette. Sometimes these shifts, and when we talk about the habits of happiness, is a way of looking at life. And then to arrange your resources and your energy accordingly to behave in accordance with this new insight or wisdom. So the very first thing that I want to talk about in relationships is how vitally important positive relationships are to a happy and a meaningful life. And the reason why this is important, and I, and I know when people listen to my radio show once a week or when they listen to this podcast, they may roll their eyes and go, of course, relationships are important. Next. 
But actually, if one begins to interrogate one's life and one asks, what is it that I prioritize? Um, do I really prioritize my primary relationships and even my, my secondary relationships? Or is it uh, achievement that I prioritize or working really hard or what are the real priorities in my life and do I make enough time for the people that matter to me and do I make enough time to make new connections you know and, and I know the answer to this because you can just stand somewhere in a queue waiting for a cup of coffee or waiting to place your order I don't know at bootleggers or Vida or somewhere and look at whether people are using this precious opportunity to connect with the people around them or what are they doing instead? And you know what the picture looks like. Everybody is head down with their, with their eyes glued to their cell phone. Mm. They are in another world. They are not connecting. So the grant study, the grant study is a, it's the longest study on human happiness. And it was started in the 1930s at Harvard University. Okay, it's worth 350 men only because at that point there were no women, uh, female students, and that is, thank heavens, changed. But these 350 men had been interviewed every single year for the rest of their life for the past 75 years. And the major findings, there were many, many findings of this report. And the question of the research study was, what makes for a happy life in the end? What makes the difference? And what the research study has found that the one singular variable that would predict most closely whether you would be alive at 85, whether you would be healthy and whether you would be reporting a fulfilled life is whether you have had positive relationships throughout um, the duration of your life. I mean, interestingly enough, in the study, the one specific question that correlated mostly to happiness and longevity was this one question. Do you have somebody at 4 a.m. in the morning who will come to your aid um, if you need them? You know, and, and so it really talks about um, the importance of relationship for a well-lived and meaningful life. And again, the question, do we really align our lives in this way? And then the second thing is, and, and you know, often I speak to people who are retired, maybe they're lonely, or um, people who've just come through a divorce, they feel very isolated, they may have lost their friends throughout the years of, of a tumultuous relationship, and they say to me, well, I don't have a significant other, and maybe my parents are deceased, and I'm really alone in the world. And what I want to say to people is, this science of relationship doesn't just hold for your uh, primary relationships. In fact, there is something called micro moments of connection, which is a piece of research done by Dr. Barbara Fredrickson, where they have showed that if you connect with a stranger authentically and deeply and have a moment of heartfelt connection, even if it's with the barista who is making your coffee, that the, physio the physiological impact on your body, on your cortisol levels, and I mean the positive physiological impact on your cortisol levels, your blood pressure, uh, your heart rate variability, are the same. And Mariette, hear this, it's the same as whether you're having a moment of close connection with a spouse of 20 years. That's amazing. 
It is extraordinary. It is life-changing. The next time you get into an Uber, you have 25 minutes to sit with another human being and to boost both your longevity. You know, and it's very much a Western society thing as well. I found that I've traveled a lot um, in my life and we live very um, insular and isolated lives in the West. You know, we all retire to our homes. We eat alone. Um, in the East, I, I once cycled 10,000 kilometers through Southeast Asia. And you know, the one thing all the way from China right through to Vietnam, to, to Thailand, to Laos, to um, Singapore, to Malaysia, the one thing that all these countries had in common was at night, people would gather in the local um, market area and you would buy street, a cheap street food and you would eat together. You know, it's such a small thing, but um, these moments of micro-connection, the next time you sit next to somebody on a bus. I lived in England for 10 years. If you dared but look, made eye contact with somebody on the tube, people moved their seats because maybe you were a weirdo. And it's really, really tragic because we lose the opportunity to to connect with other people. And I think to just be cognizant of the fact that it could make a profound impact to your life if you speak very um, deeply and directly to the person at the checkout, checkout counter checkers. Yeah, that's a very practical habit to develop. And I can relate to that because I have had wonderful moments with people, mm. you know, like someone at a checkout counter. Exactly. And we are human beings. We don't need to possess that person in a particular relational context or in a particular relational capacity to be two human beings together, both striving just for that one thing to be happy and to help each other a little closer to that by acknowledging each other and really uh, shoulder to shoulder standing in our humanity and you know, you grow the muscle of compassion that way. And we know, you know, if we talk about that positive affectivity, the P of Permavi, we know that the three most powerful emotions that you can conjure for high performance and actually for happiness and to combat depression and for well-being are these three, hope, gratitude and love. Those are the big three. So if you can just do this small habit, put your phone away. That's why we're having a depression crisis in our society. Um, I don't know if you know this, but South Africa has the ninth highest suicide rate in the world. This is why we're having a depression crisis amongst our youth, because we are stuck in our mobile phones. It's not just a, a bad habit. It is stealing our life. It's stealing our ability to have these moments of connection with other human beings, to look somebody in the eye. Um, so put your phone away. Habit number one, let's mark this one. Take every opportunity to have these micro moments of connection. Um, Dr. Barbara Fredrickson actually calls it love 2.0, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, and Erica, it struck me that you spoke about how one prioritizes one's life because you're now talking about relationships and I'd like to know how this relates with meaning and purpose and accomplishment. Absolutely, because you are so, so right. They all interrelated. I mean, none of these stand alone. 
So relationships, when you begin to do goal setting, you know, I, I have a practice where I ask people to write down their five to 10 top priorities in their life. And I normally walk around the room and have a little look at what people are writing down. And I always hope that if you're going to write down eight goals, that three of them are relational, family, friends, community, for example, um, because it's in the relational goals where this fulfillment in life comes and where we also have a lot of growth. You know, it's one thing. Um, there's a really famous uh, uh, little vignette about a uh, Buddhist monk who goes away and he goes and meditates for 20 years in a cave. Um, and he comes back to his teacher and he's so proud because he thinks he's mastered himself and he's mastered his emotions and nothing can upset him anymore. And then the, his teacher slaps him after 20 years, his first human contact, and he burst into tears. And so uh, his teacher says to him he has to go away for another, another 20 years of meditation because the, the, the joke really and the story is that we learn only in relationship, in relation to others, what our triggers are, who we are, where our growth points are. So relationship is more important than just um, the support in your life. It's also the arena where you will show the most growth and will have the most growth opportunities. So really important when we get to goal setting. When it comes to meaning and purpose, Relationships are actually foundational because, you know, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, he had these five hierarchical needs. The bottom one is for safety and security. Then it goes to belonging, that you need to be part of a clan. You need to feel safe and like you are belonging in a community. The next one is around self-esteem, so who you stand as in the world. And then the very top one is self-actualization where you are able to become the very best that you can be. But the problem with that model ending there is self-actualization for what purpose? Why? Just so that you can feel good about yourself. That's a, that's a good reason, but it's really not a good enough reason. And the reality is that it's self-actualization in service so that you become the best that you can possibly be in service of something greater than yourselves. So Dr. Martin Seligman and his colleagues um, were also pivotal in articulating the 24 uh, character strengths that we all have in some form or another. But when you go and do the survey, it's via, V-I-A, org, dot uh, org, via character dot org. Mariette, maybe you can, I'll send you the link and you can put it in the podcast at the end. Thank you, I will. Yeah, so this VR character uh, assessment helps you to identify your top five character strengths. You know, maybe you are somebody who is an incredibly empathetic person and a, a great listener. Maybe you are somebody with great social intelligence and you understand people. Maybe you're somebody who has um, a penchant for humor and you can make people laugh. Maybe you're a leader. Maybe you are really kind. Maybe um, you are prudent. Maybe, you know, so it's these 24 character strengths that you can, you can then identify your top five. And by the way, they've done this. I think 7 million people have done the survey and across almost all every culture in the world. So it, it holds across cultures. 
And when you know what your top five character strengths are, it is such a beautiful way to understand yourself and to explain yourself to other people in terms of the gifts that you can bring. And then the question is, how can I use these character strengths much more deliberately in service of other people um, and something greater than than myself, uh, a cause greater than myself? And when when I work with people on meaning and purpose, no, Mariette, very often the things that lie most closely to our hearts are the things where we have really at some point in our life struggled. You know, so... Say, for example, you've come through an addiction. Ah, say, say you, had a, you, you were addicted to cigarettes and you managed to, to quit smoking. Do you know how many people who run, what is that very famous smoking cessation company? I've forgotten their name now, but they are absolutely famous and they help millions of people to stop smoking. Um, and very often, almost nine times out of ten, the facilitator was a chain smoker. And it's the same for people who have had other addictions. Other, Maybe you've had a learning disability. Maybe you knew abject poverty. Maybe you know, knew a minority um, oppression. Maybe you, you knew hunger. Um, maybe you came through a debilitating disease or a debilitating divorce. Whatever our message sometimes becomes our message. So the pain that we've endured in something very often propels us and equips us to reach other people who are going through the same. So I often talk to people and say, when it comes to meaning and purpose, really think about the arenas in your life where you have suffered the most, where you have endured and learned a lot, and where you can now extend a hand and help other people through the same difficulty um, that you endured using your character strengths. You know, in an addiction setting, um, in an addiction cessation setting, if you have really good humor, you can really lighten the room. If you have empathy, you can see where, where this goes. So the most fulfilled people, according to the scientific research, are those who know their strengths, who hone their strengths, and then use it in service of other people and causes greater than yourself. And, you know, I, I, I have to say I, I've had a really fulfilling career, but it was only when I started uh, running Teacher Girl to Fish where I would take people through these transformational experiences. And it even entailed just making sure somebody had a warm cup of coffee in the morning if they were worried about going on the boats or something, that, that I felt this deep satisfaction in service. Yeah, anyway. Stop me. I can carry on for hours. <laughs> yes. So I would say that the key habit or rather the key way of, of viewing your life for optimal meaning and purpose would be, as you say, to find your character strengths and then to think how you can turn your mess into your message. And then it needn't be a big thing. As you say, it yeah. could simply be being considerate towards somebody else. Completely. It, it could be the smallest thing. Maybe if you felt lonely all your life or isolated, make it your habit to reach out. Reach out to the world. You would be surprised how it responds. You know, if you see somebody who looks lonely or who looks sad, smile. Mm -hmm. Start a conversation. It's those, and Mariette, you're so right. It's not, you know, it's not the big 
I'm going to start it, you know, a children's home in, in Nigeria. No, no, it's the small little things. It's the daily habits. It's making and look at your uh, field of influence. Look at the people that you daily have contact with. How can you use your character strengths to make a difference to those people? And that connects to what you said, if I remember correctly, that the real question to ask is, in whose life do you make a difference? Exactly. In whose, not what is my big, audacious, important purpose in, in, in life, because actually that question can sometimes lead to deep unhappiness, because that desired importance never comes. We know this. The more uh, self-important the more self-importance, the less happiness. It's a direct correlation. So if you could ask the question, in whose life do I have meaning and how can I have more meaning for them? That is really the, exactly as you just said, it. that's the habit um, to become attuned to that. And in the small things, be a good friend, be a good sister, be a good daughter, you know. Erica, I'm not very curious about accomplishment because I'm still remembering what you said about relationships that we often do not prioritize our relationships because we want to do stuff. Mm. Now, I'm not sure if this relates to accomplishment, but please speak about accomplishment. Yeah, so, you know, somewhere in between the doing and the being, there we are. That's exactly right. And and I love the, the, the opening that you opening here. In our society, we are so productivity obsessed, doing obsessed, um, that we forget about the being part of things. And, you know, when you do proper goal setting and when you sit back and you say, well, if these are the building blocks of, of a good life, if meaning and purpose is important, if relationships are important, so what are the primary priorities in my life? Because, Mariette, I think it is really important that we take stock of our lives, that we actually write down what our vision is. You know, about 15 years ago, um, I lived in the UK, and I wrote a, a list of the 100 things I wanted to do. In fact, just before I left for the UK, I wrote a list of the 100 things I want to do in my life. Small things, like doing things, lots of doing things. And then 15 years later, um, when I unpacked the box, lo and behold, I found that list. And 80 I've completely forgotten about the list. 85% of what I wrote on that list actually happened. Goodness. Even if I, even if I, um, I described I wanted to do a sport that was completely adrenaline field and that was so outdoor and took me to remote places. I didn't even know adventure racing existed when I wrote that. And then adventure racing came into my life. There is a magic about writing things down. So when you go and sit down and you actually take a little bit of time in your life to go and set really good goals for your life, align to these things that we know matter. You know, so then you begin to ask yourself, okay, what are my life priorities? When you write down your five to eight to ten life priorities, my priorities are my family, my friends, uh, my community, um, my health, my finances, my character, and my mood. So basically who I become and how I feel every day. People forget about those two. Um, 
my hobby, something that I love doing. We know we need this engagement thing, my mental health. Because sometimes if you don't think about the building blocks of the good life, people just write finances and health and family and nothing else or career. And, you know, in our society, we are so focused on career success and making money that we often forget these other really important goals. So when you then wake up to what the really meaningful, important things are in life, to clearly for each of those priorities, go and articulate a short vision. Your 10 out of 10, what will 10 out of 10 look like in that particular priority? So if that priority is friendship, who is it that I want to be as a friend? What are the kinds of friends that I want to have? What will I do to achieve this short vision statement? In 10 years' time, I want to feel this way when it comes to friendship, and this is the situation I want. Same for my family, same for my health, same for my finances, same for my character. Who do you want to become during the process of your life? It is so vitally important, and not just the doing stuff. So to go and write that down, and then, of course, there's a there's a very powerful way once you have created this vision in each one of the priorities in your life to then say, right, that's the 10-year vision, but now the rubber hits the road here, and then there's a process for setting goals in a way that you can actually begin to achieve them today. Is that something that you would do with one of your clients during coaching? Absolutely. It's one of the first things we do. It's, you know, for some people, it's not what they've come for and, and they need something else. But nine out of 10 times, we say, right, we're going to get the foundation right in the eating, sleeping exercise because we need that energy to come free so we can do some coaching work. And then we do this big picture goal setting. Because, Mariette, if you have this true north in your life, when things like COVID happen, you don't get thrown off balance as much as people who don't have a very clear vision for their life because you know what it is that's important to you. You know what it looks like, what your 10 out of 10 looks like. You have broken it down into goals. The next, you know, we don't achieve things in 10-year chunks or in one-year chunks. We achieve things in three-month work-focused time blocks, if you want to call it that way. So we identify for each one of these visions, what are the three things that you need to do in the next three months to begin to achieve this? And then we go even further. And here's the kicker. Then we say, why is it important for your life? Because when people know their why, I, I'm sure you know the Simon Sinek uh, TED Talk on leaders who know their why really inspire people. When you know your why, you actually make it happen. So why is this 10 out of 10 important in your life? What are the consequences if you don't do it? What will happen in your life if you don't do it? You know, and then people are motivated to say, in the next 24 to 48 hours, what are you going to do? One thing, because you know procrastination is the big enemy. Yeah, you need someone to get you going or if you can't do it yourself. Exactly. And you know, and someone, you you so hitting the nail on the head. 
Um, the research shows us that we are 85% more likely to achieve something if we have an accountability partner. So in my work, especially in groups, the first thing that happens is we get an, a buddy and that buddy is tasked to help us to take the first step towards our best life. So we phone each other, we WhatsApp each other. Some even arrive at other people's doorsteps to make sure their buddy did what they promised. <laughs> yeah. I just want to know for clarity's sake, we've spoken about relationships, we've spoken about meaning and purpose and accomplishment. Are goals mm. part of both meaning and purpose and accomplishment? Yeah, I mean, we cover goals. We, we do all the goal setting in, in accomplishment. But of course, for meaning and purpose, maybe there is a particular goal that you want to achieve. Maybe you want to write a book to inspire many people. There is a goal there. You know, in each one of these, actually, in each one of them, whether it's positive affectivity, my goal is to become a mental master to become a, a, a ninja in managing my emotions so that I can get myself into positive and helpful states so that I can live my best life. You know, that's a goal. Mm -hmm. um, if it's in engagement, my goal is I've got this hobby. I play the piano or the violin or I kayak or I knit, whatever it is I do. And actually, I want to become a little bit better. So I'm going to go join a meetup group or some community um, of practice that's going to help me up my game, or I'm going to sign up for a competition, or I'm going to go and play um, publicly somewhere um, just to up my game a little, or I'm going to play with somebody. So in that, there can be goals. In relationships, I mean, the goals are enormous. How do I become a better spouse? And you know, it's very, I often do uh, couples counseling as well, um, or couples coaching, not counseling. Coaching is different. Um, coaching people and communication, coaching people and relating. And in the in that, um, there are big relationship goals. But the first goal is how do I become a better partner? What are the things I can do to shift this relationship? Because that's where your your agency is and that's where your locus of control is in changing and shifting in the self first. So there's many relational goals. Um, that you can say it could be to make more friends this year or actually to reach back and, and contact old friends that you've lost touch with that really meant a lot to you. You know, so many goals in that um, meaning and purpose the same. Maybe you have a vocational goal, something you want to achieve. And I mean, goal setting in the vitality part is critical mm -hmm. because if you don't set the goal of putting in three more veggies this week, with every meal, you're not going to do it because it, you have to change your habits. It's hard. And the way to change habits is first, we can talk a lot about habit change, but you have to first set the goal of what you want to change. And then you have to inhabit that personality. So say you're somebody who only eats steak and two sprigs of broccoli a week. Um, to begin to think of yourself as a healthy person who eats a lot of vegetables and then actually I'll have three more veggies with my plate every day. So the change begins to happen at the identity level rather than just at the goal level. But that's a whole nother conversation. Yes, I see we could go on for days. It, it's just yeah. fascinating. <laughs> 
Sorry, man. But yes, Sorry. you can absolutely. There's so much. There's so much good stuff that's scientifically validated that small changes make the big difference in your these small, small changes. Over 10 years, you will not even recognize your life. Exactly. I'm not sorry about this. <laughs> I just want to say that you've mentioned the radio program that you have. Don't you want to explain? Because I know that uh, yeah. people can go find out more about the building blocks there. Yeah. So, so, so Mariette, it's with Mix FM and um, quite a visionary station master, uh, Seni Lakotla. And one of her DJs, uh, Lundi Koisan, she's really well known. Lundi and I met and she invited me to come onto radio to talk about RUN. And after the first conversation, her reaction was the same as what we've just discovered now. Oh my gosh, there is way too much for one radio program. So she said, why don't you just come back once a week for 10 minutes and talk about the building blocks of happiness? And so for 20 weeks, Lundi and I walked around these building blocks and help people to just change one habit a week for 20 weeks. And all that material is on my website. Um, we wrote a PDF on each program and there's a little 10 minute recording of each program. And then Lundi, because she is such an amazing person and proficient and ambitious, um, she got an opportunity at another radio station as a station manager. She then left. And last week, Mix FM, Sunny phoned me and she said, Gosh, Lundy is gone, but can you continue with the with the radio program? And so I started this morning with Sam De Hola. And Sam um, is quite a I think she's got ninety thousand Instagram followers. So I hope some of her people will dig into this happiness stuff. But so once a week on a Thursday morning at nine fifty, we talk about the habits of happiness on Mix FM ninety-three point eight. Um, and then the material goes onto my website afterwards. We've just this morning started an eight-week course on stress resilience um, and how to help ourselves in modern-day stress to get a lot less anxious and stressed out. Excellent. I will definitely attach the, the link to your website to the podcast. Okay, great. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for the opportunity to also speak about it and you know, my, my dream and my wish is it's just, I try and keep it under 10 minutes, keep it short, 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 have one little change that one can make that week. And my dream is that people will sit, you know, I often think of people working on shop floors where mm. people are all at a station and the radio is playing in the background. I so wish some shop floor um, managers will pick this up. And we all know that on a Thursday morning at 950 there's a little bit of a pick-me-up and one habit that will markedly improve the quality of my life. And that's my, my hope and my dream, but it's quite new. So I hope it, it will really reach South Africans at large because there's a lot that we can do about the difficulties that we face with the mental health problems we have in our country. Yes, and while we're at it, uh, do you want to mention some of your other platforms like social media? Yeah, so um, I, I've i got a fantastic person who helps me with social media, uh, Simon Sharp, and I, I've got an author Instagram page, Erica underscore to Blanche. Um, it's Erica with a C. Um, so you can find me on Instagram. We only put motivational stuff on there. And then you can also follow me on Facebook. I've got an author page on Facebook, 
also Erica Tablanche. And of course, you can find all the resources um, about the podcast and stuff on my website. Um, that's www.thrive-guru.com. So you can go there and sign up for, I send a newsletter maybe once every two months, rather give a lot of quality and short sound bites um, than often. And then you can subscribe there. And then lastly, there is a great resource for people who want to start a walking or a running program. I've built 20 years of running endurance experience into um, my Couch to 3K, Couch to 5K and Couch to 10K programs. You can just go and download the PDF for free. It's on the Thrive Run Club on Facebook. And it's really a fantastic resource. I've got an 85-year-old guy in Germany who's on the program. He's running his first marathon soon. Um, but if you want to get your body moving, uh, the Couch to 3K, Couch to 5K, Couch to 10K programs will take you and your friends along on the journey in the simplest manner. And it's almost guaranteed injury-free because of the slow transitions um, and how it's built. So, okay, that was a lot. Yeah. Thanks, Marietta. Thank you so much. Thank you, Erica. But we're not done yet. Last year, you published your book, Run for the Love of Life. Yeah, sure. That was a, that was a lifelong dream um, in the making. I can remember I, I was in Standard 8 when a teacher said to me, uh, writers are the conscience of the nation, and I got goosebumps. And on that day, I knew that when the time came, I was going to write. And the book has been met with really great enthusiasm on the reviews. I'm just humbled by the reviews because people say that I've carried them through difficult stuff. I've come at just the right time. People say I'm on their shoulder whenever they try and do something difficult. Well, in a good way. I think I'm on the right side of the shoulder. Um so I've had really good feedback about the book. And it seems to be about running, but it's not really about running. It should be in the self-help section. And the, the message of the book is really how do we persevere and thrive through difficulty and that each of us have that capacity to do that, to, to, to come out the other side stronger, better and undefeated, really made better, forged, if you will. So, so that's Run for the Love of Life. You can get it in exclusive books. You can get it online at Amazon or publisher.coza. Or you can invite me to come and talk at your company, um, which often happens. And then I come and speak and bring a load of books. And it's very often there that uh, many people uh, want the book and a signed copy. It sounds inspirational. And now I think it's time for your three tips on happiness, on how to experience happiness throughout your life, including into retirement. You know, it's, it's fascinating because I work with a lot of people who have achieved a lot in their life. And it's really fascinating that society puts us on this achievement track but we know that happiness is not through achievement. Yes, it's important that we make the most of our life, but it's not, it's not success, achievement, accolades or fame or the number of fans you have in your – it's not going to give you that long-term fulfillment. And so there are really three simple things that I believe are the pathways to, to happiness. And the first one is 
and this is when you know you're on track. The first one is the less you consider yourself as important and more important than others, the less focus in your life on self-importance, the more happiness will bloom in your life. That I know for an absolute fact. It is a trap of our social media selfie generation life. Um, more and more focus on the self. It's a dead end road. It's a bottomless pit. It's not going to lead to happiness. The happiness tip here is the more you can just walk away from self-importance and consider 8 billion brothers and sisters on this planet and even the other creatures, the animals, as equal in their right to happiness, that is a good pathway uh, to happiness. So that's the first. Associated with that is please, please turn off your social media notifications I just gave the talk on the radio this morning where stress and anxiety and sadness and fear, all four of those emotions, um, are directly linked to the continuous disruption and distraction brought to us by social media notifications. Turn off your notifications. That's the second happiness hack. It may sound like nothing, but actually the average person gets 68 notifications they measured. I mean... Gosh, it depends what sample you take, of course, but that was one research study. And then they estimated that the energy loss, the focus loss from that equates to an hour a day. It's five hours a week. It's 20 hours a month. That is actually an entire 30 days. You lose a year just because you get distracted by notifications. That's the second habit. Turn it off. <laughs> You're not going to lose anything by doing that. And then the third one is uh, do something for others. Find a way to use your strengths, your gifts, your talents, your charm, your wit, your intelligence, your energy. Do something for somebody else, even if it's just a smile or helping somebody across the road or you will see happiness flows right there um, into the backwash of that action. Yeah, thank you, Erica. That's food for thought. Now, may I ask you your fun question? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Okay. <laughs> if you could picture the desert as a woman, I was wondering what her voice would sound like. Oh, my gosh. That is the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful question in the universe. Well, okay, because you're, I, are you sure you haven't read my book? No, but I read about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when you read it, you will understand that I have a, a lifelong love affair with the desert um, because it is so unbelievably gentle. The, the desert is, it's quiet, it's, it's magical, uh, serene in a way. And it is deadly. You know, so I I just imagine that if the desert was a woman, um, it would be a tender, gentle, not loud, um, perhaps a slightly husky, quiet, quiet voice um, with not too much noise and not too much expression, deep sonorous perhaps with a with slight amber in it. Um, and yet you would know that behind this deep gentleness, 
there is an enormous reservoir of strength, personal power, and a, a resilience that is almost unbreakable. So you would hear that in the tenor of the voice, but in a way that is very gentle, um, compassionate, kind, soft, like sifting sands, like the sifting sands just wafting off a dune um, in the desert breeze. So that's how I would imagine it. A veiled voice in a way, not loud, not loud. How beautifully that is said. Sure. That was such a beautiful question. I'm actually, I'm quite moved by that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Erica, also for talking about happiness, which, as you said, is the one thing we all really desire, and for making it practical, informed by science, but making it practical. And I look forward to speaking to you again, and we are going to talk about how to build your psychological well-being through immersion in nature in the next podcast. Sure, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, There's a lot there. So, Mariette, and also thank you for this work that you do and for bringing um, the voices of calm, clear and helpful uh, habits and tips and um, instruction to to your audience. I think it's such a beautiful thing um, that you are doing and thank you also for the privilege to to speak here um, and I'm, I'm really grateful grateful for this platform and thank you for hosting it in in that desert woman voice way because I do recognize all those characteristics in you um, oh, so, so thank you thank you Erica and to our listeners thank you for listening if you found this episode inspirational please share it with someone you care about I'd really appreciate it if you'd rate Calm, Clear and Helpful where you download your podcasts. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in improving your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, marietsneeman.co.za for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me and the music is by Mark-Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.